Art of the Cut is brought to you by Studio Network Solutions, helping video teams in over 80 countries transform the way they store, share, and organize content. Studio Network Solutions' industry-leading Evo shared storage servers come with a perfect suite of core features you'll love, like built-in media asset management and powerful integrations for Adobe, Resolve, Avid, and FCP10. They've even made it easier to work from home with their new remote editing tool, Nomad. Visit studionetworksolutions.com slash AOTC and sign up for a demo today. Hello and welcome to the Art of the Cut podcast. I'm Steve Hallfish. I'm a feature film editor and discuss the art and craft of film editing with my colleagues in film and TV. In this episode, I'm talking with the editors of two TV series, I Am Not Okay With This, and What We Do in the Shadows from writer-director Taika Waititi. The editors are Yana Gorskaya, ACE, and Dane McMaster. Yana won an Ace Eddie for editing the documentary Spellbound. She was a consulting editor on Jojo Rabbit and Thor Ragnarok. She was editor for Hunt for the Wilder People and the feature film of What We Do in the Shadows, among other docs, features, and TV shows. Yana also directed two episodes of What We Do in the Shadows. Dane has edited TV series including Trial and Error, AP Bio, and Southside. Dane and Yana also both worked on the TV show Review. In this interview, we'll go back and forth between discussing editing What We Do in the Shadows and I Am Not Okay With This. What is a typical schedule like for an episode? Good question. For on what we do in the shadows or on uh, either okay one. This? You can pick either one and then just like how long does it shoot generally and then how much time do you have before a director comes in and then how long do you have with a director and then you move on to the showrunner, kind of that whole thing. Um well both shows have a really, really different workflow and pro- um process. Um I'm not okay with this Dane and I would um Dane and I cut everything together. Um, which is... Yeah, we should probably start with that because we do have a, we <laughs> do have a slightly different process. That, that's really interesting because that is rare in TV that you have normally one editor picks episode one, the next epi- editor takes episode two. So tell me a little bit about that process of you two working together on a single episode. That's what I was used to, what you talk about before I worked with Yana and not to put words in Yana's mouth, but I think because she come, came from feature and doc into TV, she had a different way of working. I'm a big believer in all hands on deck and taking advantage of all the brain power in the room. <laughs> and that, there, and that if, if a good idea comes in, we should absolutely use it and work it in. And I found that that was really useful for us editorially, for Dane and I to kind of take a pass at everything and be each other's safety net. Um, and it elevates all of the work and we all get to take credit for it. Or, or we get to collectively take the blame. <laughs> and and, and it's, it's much easier taking the blame when it's both of you than when it's just one of you. Well, <laughs> I think taking the credit in this case, because, man, I thoroughly enjoyed the show. So you guys uh, pass scenes back and forth between you. Before the virus happened, were you editing in the same place? Was that easy to do? How were you collaborating? We worked in the same building at a post house here in LA at Pacific Post. What we do in the shadows and um, I'm not okay with this actually posted in the building next door. So I've basically been in the same complex for a couple of years now <laughs> with breaks here and there. But, um, but to answer your original question, 
On I Am Not Okay With This, the workflow was that Dane and I would get all the dailies and cut them and polish them and assemble them into as much of an episode as we had, any individual episode, and send them to the showrunner, director, Jonathan Entwistle at the end of the week. So it was a really unconventional workflow, but he was able to see what he had and design the rest of shooting around that, which was incredibly valuable for him. And we decided to do that in part because that's how you work on a feature. You're giving director scenes to show them what they have and give them a bit of a safety net. And then the other thing with I'm Not Okay With This is we didn't lock any episodes until we had rough cuts of the entire season. So we could kind of go back and reshape things to make sure we were telling the same story and that tonally things were consistent. That workflow wouldn't be possible in other shows that we work on. It was possible because of the way that Jonathan shoots. He's very specific in terms of the way he he shoots scenes and, and the material he gives you. So with that, we could really dig in and get something in great shape and send it to him at the end of each week. I don't think we could do that in, in a lot of the other shows we work on. But it was also great because by the time Jonathan came into the room, there weren't really any surprises with the first assembly of a, or the, the editor's cut was in great shape and he kind of knew what he had. That was a wonderful part of the process because everybody straight away is, everybody is working in the same direction from that first day of editing. We all kind of know where we're at. And because he had the pieces before he came into editorial, he knew what he might be missing. So there weren't massive holes in our... <laughs> trying to fill. No, that's um, really helpful for you guys, right? Because then you you get what you want, or at least what he wants. Yeah. And he's giving us feedback as we go, and so we're able to shape cuts forward in that way. That was a great process. Shadows is a really different animal because there's so much improv, and the scripts are quite long. When, when going in, they're wonderful, but long. <laughs> and so, so finding... Um, what an episode looks like, takes it just takes more time. They're pretty much completely done with production before we have things to show them. And then some of that is like brain space. There's, it's, a, it's a really intense process. Their days are really long. And so for them to have room to like really take in an episode and start to get into the notes process with us, I think they, they kind of need to be done with production because it's so full on. The benefit of that is that Dane and I get a lot of time to play and shape and try things and get episodes looking like an episode of television before they have to <laughs> um, um, really dig in with us, which is also cool. With what we do in the shadows, you mentioned that there's a lot of um, improv in that. I think a cut for TV tends to be much tighter to the final length. Are you finding that's not true with that because you want to show them so much of the improv? We try and make a fair amount of choices because there's so much improv. Dane, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but um, we try and rein it in so that they only have to whittle down two to three minutes as opposed to 20, which is what it, it could be. <laughs> so, um, and, and part of that is because we have EPs that are working remotely and you want to make the, the most of their time. I mean, the good thing is, is that Dane and I have a really similar sense of humor and our sense of humor tends to be in that deadpan kind of smaller world. So we are all in the same page with our EPs with 
Jermaine and Paul and Stephanie and Sam, they all like that too. So we're hoping that what we present is pretty close to what they would like, like <laughs> to begin with. And so we make a lot of choices and our cuts are actually pretty tight by the time they, they make it to producers. But that's not to say that there isn't still quite a lot of room to, for them to play <laughs> and, and um, decide what they like. There will be obviously times where somebody might say, I remember there being something that happened during that scene. Can we maybe see a cut that incorporates that? Or, or there may be times where we are asked to veer towards the scripted line. Maybe it's like, can we see a version that hits that with the scripted line as opposed to the improv? Um, there's always a little bit of back and forth. We should probably list everybody's names, Yana. We work with wonderful people and they are in no particular order. Our main kind of EPs who we're working with are Jermaine Clement, Paul Sims, Stephanie Robinson and Sam Johnson. That's a very smart room. Great notes, in other words. Yeah. Yes, smart notes, always a lot of comedy experience. You're benefiting from that uh, when you get their notes. And then internally, we had the same assistant editors on um, I Am Not Okay With This as we had on What We Do In The Shadows, and um, that would be Varun Viswanath and uh, Antonia De Barras. They are both very quickly heading towards being editors themselves and will not be our assistants for much longer, I don't believe, which is sad for us, but they've earned it. We're lucky to have them. And Varun has already been editing quite a bit on, on our shows as well. And he cut on season one of What We Do in the Shadows and on I'm Not Okay With This. And um, Anna Antonia is very quickly heading that way too. Back to the collaboration and the improv thing. Are you actually watching all the dailies the other person watching? Or are you just picking scenes? So like you'll watch this, the dailies for a scene, show it to, to Dane, but you're not both watching all of it. We, we have a very specific way we've developed in terms of how we work, which is that in the Avid project, the new scenes are all put into a folder called To Cut. And then the other two folders that are in there are In Progress and done <laughs> we just pick fairly randomly scenes from to cut whenever we have time we may be working on notes for another episode but we'll just keep diving back into an episode and pulling out scenes and cutting them and then once one of us has a, a rough cut we do a pretty polished cut for each other in terms of sound design and how much we work it that will just sit in a bin until it comes to the time when we will assemble an episode so at that point, depending on who has cut, like it could be I cut most of Acts 1 and 2. So Yana will assemble Acts 1 and 2 and I'll assemble Acts 3 and 4. And at that point, we will do a pass in each other's work, which will mean sometimes going into the dailies, but we will leave each other markers. I might leave a marker that says there's some other improv for this. If you want to take a look at take four, chances are I have it at the end of my sequence. So I can say... There's some other improv here. Take a look at it. It's at the end of the sequence. And I'll tend to put anything that I liked that hasn't been used in the cut that was strong at the end of the sequence. We end up calling them spare parts. Um, so it's a quick way for each other to look at stuff that wasn't used. At the same time, as you know, lots of scenes will have their own challenges. So there may be in the scene, I've, I've worked a joke as best I could work it, or the same with Yana. 
where when we watch it, we're like, oh, I need to dig into the dailies to take a look at that because it, that doesn't feel like it's hitting hard enough. Inevitably, a lot of the times I will look at the dailies and it's like, no, it's as best as that joke can be. That's the, that, that, that feels like the best version of it. So it, it's a process of leaving each other markers and breadcrumb trails, diving into the dailies to check stuff out. We'll also cut each other alts. So, you know, sometimes when, I, when there's an evenly good joke or piece of improv, we'll, we'll put a little alt in, which a, a lot of directors don't like to see that or producers sure. don't. They want to watch it as a whole. But for us, that's really useful <laughs> to, to go and do multiple versions of a joke or um, of an ending. Yeah, Yana and I have developed that workflow on every job where we do a lot of exploratory work and cut different versions of things. Whenever Yana is doing a pass of my scene, I may have three versions of something in there, which all felt equally valid. And I'm happy that I've cut them. But at that point, I'm happy for Yana to pick her favorite. And then they can sit in a, they can sit in the bin. And if it comes up again in the future, maybe you're sitting with a director and she says, oh, I remember a bit where such and such did this joke. We can quickly pull up that alt and preview it for them. That all feels like a, a useful process for when we hit the notes stage later. We're very prepared. I really love the idea of that. What strikes me is that it's really interesting that when I cut, even when I'm cutting with other editors, my notes or my little locator things tend to be just for me. But it's really a different thought process of leaving a note that is not just for you, but for someone else as well. We've we've done this long enough now that um, we've assigned ourselves colors. <laughs> so, so so I'm pink, and um, Dane is um, turquoise, and uh, <laughs> I, I don't Vern know if that's is that have, sexist. It feels well, when when it's said out loud, it does feel a little. <laughs> <laughs> it just felt natural in the moment. I, I chose pink. It wasn't imposed on me. Okay. Um, good. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's that's a that's a continual conversation we have, and, and it's sort of the reason why when the COVID stuff happened and we began working remotely from home, it wasn't a huge problem for us because we kind of have a conversation in markers, and those markers start from the rough cuts right through to notes. When Yana says we do everything together, we really do everything together, including director notes and uh, producer cuts. We will just say. One of us will take acts one and three and the other will take two and four and we will do those notes and we will leave markers that maybe say that we maybe don't like this change or, or we, we question that change or they could say we love this change. That was a great trim. Or this doesn't exist or also take a look at this take but it might be better to address this note but I think this is why I picked this. There's a lot of markers and breadcrumbs scattered throughout the sequences. We tend to delete the markers once we start a new cut. So if we're going from one cut to another, we'll duplicate the cuts and get rid of the markers and start fresh. But yeah, that has made it very easy with this stay-at-home remote working. Uh, it hasn't changed that much for us. Well, that and the fact that our, our producers were already far-flung, so we had been figuring out how to work with people in New York and New Zealand for a while already. So th that transition and also honestly our 
post-producer Ingrid Lagater and Varun and Antonia were amazing at figuring this out and how to get us all working remotely and having that. I mean, it's been down to the wire in terms of getting episodes on air, <laughs> um, but most of that has been because everything else is also far flung, but uh, Ingrid has done an amazing job wrangling that all together. And then we just do everything remotely. We do the mixes remotely. We do the effects re- remotely. We review conforms remotely. And we have this kind of lovely every morning uh, thing, which we are missing at the moment. They pushed it a little later, where we all get together in Zoom and just kind of lay out the day. Some of that is for morale, but it's also just like, okay, this is what's on my page. That's what's on, you know, just understanding the challenges of all of the team and making sure that, you know, everyone's on the same page and understands what's coming in and what's going through. And that's been actually really nice. Like, it makes you feel like we're still, I mean, I think naturally editors are a little bit internal people. So the working from home part hasn't been as hard for us as maybe for more external people. (laughs) um, But the morning meeting is, is really, and we get to see each other's pets. (laughs) (laughs) that's always awesome right there right yeah i wanted to get back to i'm not okay with this you mentioned something that i thought was really interesting which was that you didn't have to deliver all the episodes till you delivered them all at once is that correct that's super cool right because if you're delivering per episode you can't go back and go, oh, if we'd left this little clue in the first episode, that would pay off in the 10th episode or whatever it is. Talk to me about some of the changes and some of the things you were able to do because you delivered them all at once. Uh, There were threads that felt like um, they were underdeveloped and or didn't quite land when we hit the final episode. Like... um, we didn't feel like we had seen enough of her diary or that that had been landed in a way that would stick with, you would even know what it was when, um, I'm going to, spoiler alert, you know, when he pulls it out on stage at the end with her nemesis. Um, and so we went back and peppered and actually created through VFX some shots we didn't have of the diary um, throughout some of the flash forwards. And flashbacks were retrofitted to create a a unified tone so that it wouldn't be quite as shocking when you got to um, the final episode. And then I think a lot of shoe leather came out because not that there was a tremendous amount of shoe leather because Mm -hmm. Jonathan has a very planned way of working, but we ended up combining two episodes and cutting one down significantly because it felt like the story wasn't getting to where it needed to get as quickly as we liked when we saw them all laid out and that we felt like maybe this isn't as important as it had seemed in the writing process now that we can actually see where we get to by episode four or five that we want to get there quicker and that maybe some things aren't we'll have to go by the wayside in order to do that. So um, that was something that came out of being able to see the entire season. Now, I want to say, didn't we kind of watch them all in a row that first week when Jonathan came in, didn't we? So Mm -hmm. that was kind of a weird process of... Yeah, we did. Before we were delving into director cut notes on each episode, we had seen the whole series... It felt more like editing a whole 
right from the get-go. Um, and I, I remember reading your interview with Gary Doldner uh, when he was talking about editing Fleabag season one. He was talking about how they were cutting them and they had to be finished and go to air. And he had a certain amount of flashbacks that he uh, about the death of Fleabag's friend. So he didn't know how much he could use in each episode going forwards, and he was worried that he would run out. When he reached episode six, he'd have used everything. We didn't have that problem at all because we were working on the series as a whole. That's the one time that's happened for me as a, as a TV series like that. You could kind of be working on episode one and doing a fine cut while you knew what lay ahead and, and where you're going to end and how the director's thoughts and the EP's thoughts in that, that final episode. It was very useful. And that was actually baked into the planning of how Post was going to run. When I first met with Rand Geiger, who was our producer, he said, I'm planning this as a feature workflow. And, you know, this would be pieces of a feature. So it would be really important to have a sense of the entire arc of the season. And I think Jonathan thought of it that way too, that this was a movie that was cut into pieces. So I, we needed to see the whole, all of it, <laughs> you know, to, to shape each act of, of a larger story. More and more of these really great um, streamed shows are feeling like a movie cut into pieces. Like that's the sense of it more than episode, episode, episode. Yeah, it's, it's a very satisfying trend, I think. It's nice to watch something that is... There's, there are some shows where it feels like the, the break between episodes is almost random because they pick up straight away in the next episode. Like they've been designed just to roll into the next one. Uh, I want to ask you a couple of questions that, about I'm not okay with this. As far as the editing and how you edited performance, of course, Sid, she's very uncomfortable in her own skin. Do you have to edit that performance differently than if she was comfortable in her own skin? Definitely. But I think that's where our deadpan sensibility is probably comes in handy also because we like the, the awkward silences <laughs> and find them um, funny uh, and endearing. Um, Absolutely. And so uh, that was a natural fit for that character uh, was letting her listen just a little bit longer than she needed to before answering a question or, um, yeah. And Sophia has the most amazing face and, and her eyes are doing so much that thankfully you could sit on her without it being completely blank. <laughs> um, uh, and it only was additive watching her take things in. She's a tr tremendous listener. That's exactly where I was going with that in that the pacing of cutting a performance is very much based in what you're trying to get the character to feel like. If you've got a very smart character, right, as soon as somebody says a question, that character is answering it because they're so smart. Like if you're doing Sherlock Holmes, you know, as soon as someone has a, a point, Sherlock knows the answer. With Sid, she's very unsure of how she should answer, what this person is expecting of her, how what is the like normal thing to say, you know, all those things. So you don't want her to jump on the next person's line. You're giving her that weird, awkward moment. I love that. That rhythm is, to a certain extent, informed by her performance in the dailies. She is doing all of that. Obviously, 
we will always have to compress time within a scene the way it's filmed. But even compressing time to cut a scene, I feel like she gives that and your editing changes because of what she's doing in the dailies. It was something that felt natural. I don't think we ever really talked about it, Yana. No, but I also think we have always cut a little bit that way. <laughs> that, that, that um, the listening part is the is the best part. And even when we've had to stick to a very strict time frame um, and chop stuff down, we've always protected for a really great awkward silence. <laughs> that, you find the one awkward silence that's the most important to save, and you save that one. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Always protect the really long one. I'm a sucker for awkward, really awkward silences. The first show that Yana and I worked on together, Review, is full of uncomfortable things. Uh, so, Were you guys gifted with some huge playlist that, yeah? Tell me a little bit about the music. Obviously, with Jonathan and his first show, the end of the fucking world a wonderful selection of music in there with this we when we first talked with jonathan we talked about that up front because we were like is this something that you're going to be very specific about are you going to send us tracks per scene but what he did was he sent us a ever-evolving playlist through apple music so it was just a shared playlist he would add things to it as time went on and as he was shooting. And we would work from that. That would generally be our first port of call. But that kind of set us off into like understanding his voice and the kind of music he liked. And so um, Dane and I both did our own kind of research inspired by that playlist. And then also our music supervisor, Nora Felder, sent us just pots and pots of, of wonderful stuff. Um, and so it was, in the end, it was kind of a mishmash, but it was all guided by that initial playlist. Uh, lots of music, a lot of it with lyrics. Um, that was one of the things that I noticed with a lot of people will choose maybe not a lyrical song, but the, to try to keep the lyrics from competing or fighting. How much did you have to edit a lot to try to get that not to happen? Well, that was the other advantage of of having the entire season before we had to lock is that we could shape things around specific songs and try a lot of different songs. We tried in some spots dozens of of songs before we felt like we hit the right one and other ones we tried something and it was it never changed because it was so perfect. The, the person we definitely need to talk about is Graham Coxon who uh, was our composer and also the composer for The End of the Fucking World one of the original founding members of Blur, just an amazing musician and musical mind. And he came up with an entire album of material for this fake band in the show, Blood Witch. Um, and um, folding that in and folding his voice into it um, and making that such a, like a driving texture of the show was really cool. And it only elevated it the more of his material that we got in. And similarly, on Shadows, we have Mark Mothersbaugh, so we've got the best people. <laughs> Musically, we're covered. Not to steer your interview, Steve, but one thing we haven't talked about is on Shadows, we have another editor we oh, need to yeah. talk about, and that's because 
Yana directed two episodes of Shadows this season. So whenever Shadows started, Yana was finishing I Am Not Okay With This, and then she was prepping for her episodes on Shadows as a director. So we had somebody who we've worked with before edit for the two months of the shoot before Yana came back, which was Daniel Hayworth. Awesome. Daniel's awesome. We've worked with him in the past. So he has a editing credit on three of the episodes. Oh, well-earned. Just as well-earned as your two directing credits, I guess, I would think. <laughs> Thank you. Well, we'll see. They're, they're airing soon. <laughs> oh, good. I feel good about them. Dane did an awesome job. I have directed some things, and I feel like when an editor directs, it's easier to edit those things that an editor directs. Yes, uh- I've been in the position of editing a lot of things for directors who were editors, and it's always a little scary. I do always offer a director who was an editor the opportunity to take control of the keyboard if they ever want to. Uh, Nobody has ever taken me up on that offer, but I do try to, because I imagine it can be frustrating. Uh, With Yana, Yana's directing is wonderful. I've done one of her episodes on season two of Trial and Error, I would say the hardest part is just the pressure of editing for somebody who you, who you respect and you want to do a great job for somebody who you work with so much. So that there is that pressure. Once we get into her director's cut, it's really no different than when we pass things back and forth on a regular episode. We speak each other's language, so it's, it's, it's pretty smooth. <laughs> That's awesome. We'll be back in a moment with more of my interview with Yana Gorskaya and Dane McMaster. Whether you're working from home or in your facility, your media has to be secure, organized, and accessible by your whole team. Studio Network Solutions Evo shared storage servers now include Nomad, an easy-to-use utility to help media production teams work from home, on the road, or anywhere in the world. Evo shared storage servers provide ultra-fast performance for real-time 4K and even 8K editing. Each Evo comes with built-in media asset management software, so you can easily search, tag, and preview all your storage. Evo also features backup and sync tools, so you always know your media and projects are protected. Plus, powerful integrations to improve your workflows in Adobe Premiere Pro, DaVinci Resolve, Avid Media Composer, and Final Cut Pro 10. Visit studionetworksolutions.com slash AOTC and discover a better way to store, share, and organize your media. As a special offer for my listeners, you can get 10% off a new Evo system by going to studionetworksolutions.com slash AOTC and signing up for an online demo today. And now back to my interview with Yana Gorskaya and Dane McMaster. I want to ask you about some specifics because specifics can often reveal a lot of really great informative stuff, which is the reason why I do this for the listeners. It's like, wow, that's a cool idea. In episode three, the funeral for the hedgehog was brilliant. How much of that was scripted and what kind of direction were you given on that scene ahead of time? Uh, and how did it get to its final form? It just felt, felt like it might not have been scripted. I don't know. That's nice that it didn't feel scripted. It was scripted and it was much longer in its original form. That would have been one of the moments that we had to compress whenever we were putting episodes three and four together into one episode. But it's great to know that it feels 
so natural that it didn't feel written. And the music on that went through a number of... We tried so many songs. <laughs> that was one of the places where we were like, what is the best joke? But also sometimes the best joke would be a song that had been played a lot in other television shows or films, and we wanted it to feel a little bit fresh as well. So um, finding that perfect, perfect song was, was a trick. A lot of things work great, though. I wanted to ask about uh, something with also with I'm Not Okay With This, because that show has, for those who haven't seen it, uh, please watch it. You will love it. It has a lot of this uh, girl, Sid, talking. It's like an inner monologue sometimes. It's her reading her diary sometimes. But you're hearing a lot of her where she's not actually on camera speaking. And I did a scene like that. I did a bunch of scenes like that in a movie and I knew that when I cut those scenes, I didn't want to have to do it with my scratch track. I didn't want to have to be my voice. I went on set and directed the actor to read all of that stuff. Did you guys have her actual read when you cut those scenes? Yeah, you know, we put in a request and they knocked it out on set. And so we had her scratch recording, but then oftentimes you find that you don't need quite as many of the words or you need different words because so much is happening with what you can see. So a lot of that voiceover got significantly reworked in editorial. And then we would do these hours long ADR sessions with Sophia, nailing the performance and getting the wording right and making it feel natural in her mouth and you know, adjusting it as necessary. And we did more than one session like that, trying different things and shaping a picture around it. We had the luxury of a, of a really healthy schedule so we could play and really chisel things. And the voiceover was definitely a part of that. But yes, having a, her scratch track was so much better than <laughs> mine or... <laughs> Yana does very good ADR. God forbid for no one else other than you, right? There's nothing worse than listening to your own scratch track. Dane probably would have been fine with it, but... Yeah, we've got that and We've got that in an episode of Shadows that's driving me crazy right He's now. He's so good! <laughs> Having had a bunch of my scratch ADR end up in films, I can totally appreciate good VO from an editor. So, uh, nice work, Dane. Uh, let's talk about the challenges of getting TV to time. That's not something you really have to worry about on a feature or a doc. What... Uh, tools are you using to hit your required run length? In shadows, sometimes we will need to compress story or clarify things because they write long scripts so that they can get a lot of material to shape into these episodes. And so we're constantly looking for art and um, drawings and reworking voiceover and things to get us through things quicker and funnier. <laughs> like that's, um, that's a huge part of the work, uh, editorial work on shadows is finding funny paintings <laughs> and, and, um, thinking of it as a documentary because the show is a documentary. So how would you, if this were a legit documentary, tell this piece of storytelling? And some of that is written in the scripts. They'll, they'll reference art and things like that. But a lot of that is, is us just going to town. <laughs> having a good time with it everybody on the show has like gotten um, a degree in like researching art in a scene where Sid and her best friend are getting ready for a party and Sid is telling her that there might be something wrong with her 
Did you cut that mute and then design the music to match the visuals or cut the music early to motivate the cuts? Do you remember that? Well, that's the Lemon Twigs, which was one of the songs that was on Jonathan's playlist. And Dane actually did the first cut of that with the heartbeats to um, the flashback. So I'll let you, you take that one, Dee. The Lemon Twigs were there from the very first cut. So that kind of, the music stayed through that scene all through the process. The only thing we we refined the scene with Jonathan and at some point we did the flashbacks, which was later in the process, right, Anna? I think. Yeah, that was in our director's cut. Both of us work with audio quite heavily. I find it very difficult to cut a scene without polished audio. And part of that is because I spent a lot of time cutting trailers years ago where a trailer, I was taught to close my eyes and do the audio first. And once it sounded like a trailer, then you would move on to picture. That still informs how I cut scenes. Uh, (laughs) I kind of work very heavily on audio and audio performance and not so much music, oddly. Unless it's a music-driven scene, I kind of accept that the music is going to probably change and as the scene gets shorter, we're going to have to, you know, I wouldn't marry anything strictly to music because I know that three lines are going to get cut out of the top of this scene and it's all going to get compressed and that perfect music edit is going to get thrown out. We're both good with music, but we wouldn't necessarily cut the rhythm of a scene to music, even though... I would. (laughs) 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 But... We do have a similar attention to sound effects. And so we do like a pretty full sound effects pass that are then our amazing sound team goes and makes significantly better, but we'll never present something to a director that's dry. So, you know, all our backgrounds are in. If there are falls and action bits that those are designed and um, our assistant editors will sometimes also take passes on those. But yeah, it's fully done before anyone sees it. Can you think of why I might have had that note? Well, that music has a very dreamlike quality to it. I think it may just be a perfectly matched piece of music for that scene. Sometimes when two (laughs) things go together, they can create that impression. I mean, it wasn't married. That music was not married to the scene in the sense that when we... Yeah, and the scene changed. Yeah, we, we would take a trim there and we would roll the music out. It wasn't that... The music's not hitting certain beats, as I remember, uh, apart from the opening. Uh, there were the there were pieces of it that we kept married to the same moments because we felt that they hit towards well the towards the end yeah. emotionally. Yeah. What was going on with Sophia and her face, and so whenever we rolled that edit, that part stuck. Like <laughs> like we were really careful to to protect that so because it just had a nice emotional quality with what was clearly going on in her in her face episode four the opening music uh this is uh i can't remember the boy's name what's uh stanley stanley is dancing and preparing and he's kind of it's a series not he's he's in the shower he's dancing around in his basement a series of jump cuts it's just a frenzy of jump cuts uh, I wish I could edit that for the rest of my life. <laughs> I think that was probably the most fun 
I've ever had. Um, and, and Dee certainly played with it also. We, we both, as we cut everything, um, it was so joyous. They spent a day just shooting everything for that. Uh, Wyatt Olaf, the actor who plays Stanley, just committed fully, had no shame, <laughs> um, and was just in every beat. And it was a surprisingly excellent dancer. <laughs> so, um, it was it was just joy. Mm. It was just joy, and like and and they did so many takes of the full song in so many outfits in so many situations and so dane and i laid them on top of each other and just sank them out um to the song and tried different pieces with different beats of it um that was just pure pleasure maybe i should go be a music video editor because i had so much fun (laughs) it looked like it was a blast to cut (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Talking about flash forwards, the flash forwards that started with the very first image of the episode, actually, right? So the very first episode one, shot one, is a flash forward, correct? Yes. And then you continue that through the whole process. Talk to me about trying to get in and out of those, and I'm assuming they were all shot at the beginning. Yeah, they they were written, uh, that, that's as scripted. So those those beats were specifically shot for that reason. They weren't shot as a part of the end of the season a scene uh so that was that was kind of simple i can't remember how many we actually used yana in the end uh um, in terms of you know actually it was scripted there but they weren't li- scripted yeah they weren't scripted in most in other places but it was feeling like tracking the shape of the whole season and where we end up and making sure that we build to that and also because we had these almost entirely practical special effects that felt like they needed more internal build and so we built in more and more of these flashbacks as the season progressed and took shape and that was just something we we started playing with it was a Jonathan suggestion to begin with I think to to use more of those and and it was scripted in that that very those very first ones were scripted and then we just kept playing and it really seemed to help land the kind of frenzy of her internal experience the more we use them um music almost always seems to bridge scenes is something that I noticed that they start in one place and of an end and then the scene will be without music for a bit but they the, those scenes the music almost always bridges is that just the way it felt right or a trick you like to use or the way it happened. <laughs> I think that's uh, just the way it happened, Yana. Yeah. I remember letting stuff play fairly naturally, so we probably weren't putting too much music under our first cuts. So I wonder maybe that's an impact of, of that, perhaps. Yeah, it, it is a music-driven show, though. I mean, the, the voice of the show has that kind of energy. And so putting it under transitions was part of the, like, the show has a beat to it. And so the music in between, like, helps score those beats a bit, I think is how I would explain it. It just felt natural to add them, so we did. On a transition, we can probably ride the music harder, so it gives the music its own air and uh, spotlight, which could be why we did it. I don't remember. (laughs) You mentioned that uh, we're, I'm talking about episode four here. I think that was one of the ones that you guys needed to cut 
down from two episodes? That was three. Is that correct? Episode three used to be episode three three and four and had some scenes that were lost to continue the momentum of it. In the testing, the superpowers scene, so they're in a bowling alley and Sid hasn't really figured out whether she has superpowers or if she does, how does she control them? Mm -hmm. So Stanley's trying to get her to control them. And there's three challenges that he offers her, uh, knocking over bowling pins, knocking over beer cans, and popping popcorn with her mind. Did you guys do the intercutting? Was it scripted as an intercut, three intercut scenes, or were they scripted as three separate scenes? Do this challenge, it fails. Do this challenge, it fails. Do this challenge, it fails. The song was scripted. The song was scripted. Um, And the challenges were scripted. The inner cutting, I'm going to say, was our invention. Yeah, the first cut we did, they didn't intercut Yana and it didn't work. I, I remember us kind of being like, oh, this, it's not working. So we must have intercut them fairly early on in the process. Yeah, no, we definitely intercut them before we sent it to Jonathan. Yeah, just when something feels like it will benefit from that. Dane and I, Dane coming from trailers and myself coming from documentaries, neither of us are um, married to the script, script, which we kind of have to work with directors and EPs who are cool with that (laughs) or, or who enjoy that, I think is part of what makes it a good collaboration. We have always worked with people who seem to enjoy being surprised. Um, yeah, and I, w- I would say I don't always do that. If the job does not feel like the kind of job where I have the freedom to do that, I don't. But where I would use it in a more conservative way is in looking at all of the dailies and knowing that maybe the camera stopped rolling and this reaction can play over here. Yana will do that too, where we, we're always taking, if we need to, a performance maybe out of context to sweeten a moment. It's not always completely rewriting something. Well, the intercutting just felt, I don't know why, I mean, I kind of figured that that's what happened because it, it, it was great. The intercutting was fantastic and it kept the energy up and probably allowed you to drop things you didn't really want and didn't make things feel like it was episodic in nature. Yeah, it was really nice. There's a lovely moment where Sid is telling about the kiss, and I love the choices to be on the reactions. Oh, they're, they're sitting back to back in the bowling alley. Talk to me about choosing reaction shots and when to be on somebody and when to be on a reaction. For me, that's a very instinctive process. One of the reasons I, I love to read your interviews, Steve, is that people articulate things and I go, oh, that's why I do that. That makes sense. If Yana showed me a cut, my notes would be very top level. I need to take the cut and play with it to find the ideas. Whereas Yana can watch a cut and give you 10 notes and make it better verbally. So with that scene, I imagine it was just a process of what felt right for me and then the same with Yana. Actually, in both of these shows, we have actors with great faces who do wonderful things. They don't always do them at the exact same moment as they are scripted in the moment to do that. So that's why we watch everything. And um, also with Wyatt and Sophia, they're phenomenal listeners and they have very expressive faces. So sometimes just hanging on them listening had an emotional quality that hanging on them talking 
did not. And so I, I think I'm not okay with this actually has a lot more um, listening footage than most things I've cut because of, of the strength of those, of the listening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it probably causes a lot of pre-lapse or post-lapse, I would think, because then you, they say something and you want to see them reacting to the next person speaking. I'm guessing. I don't know. Yeah, but also just watching the dailies, the ones that I think moved me and I imagine Dane also were the moments of listening seem to be the strength. Um, I think, so. the, yeah, I think it's a case again of those things naturally rising to the top because you are drawn to that moment. So the performance is informing the edit and where you're shifting around. That, that show more than most, I think, as, as Yana says, their faces were very expressive and you could watch Sophia so much. She does great micro expressions and at any point you can kind of cut to her and it's satisfying to watch. The same with Wyatt. He has a very vulnerable listening face. But they're also very keyed in and, and thinking. Like I can see them thinking. They're, they never turn off. That's awesome. In, in the scene. And so sitting there watching Wyatt take in the fact that in some way he's been cheated on and, and watching those wheels churn, watching Sophia take in the fact that she's hurt Hurt, obviously hurt him. They both were incredibly present and thinking about those things in real ways to themselves, I think. Um, I love uh, both of them as actors. And so that's what I was thinking about with that scene when he talks about th- being jealous. There's a moment where he says he's jealous of this kiss. I'm sure his expression was fantastic and in pained or hurt or understanding or whatever his he did as an actor. But you chose to be on her, which is also a fantastic expression. So it's not like you can, you can just, oh, we're going to choose the good one. You've got to choose the better one. <laughs> there was an expression that a director I worked with early on used that has always stuck with me and that Dane and I use in editorial, which is the red dot, following the red dot of a scene. So what is the scene about and making sure that you're taking the viewer through the red dot. So the red dot is Sophia's uncomfortableness, not his jealousy. So making sure you're threading what the emotional take of the viewer is supposed to be. And red dot can sometimes also be story. Are we missing the fact that something here isn't landing and won't make sense? But so we we often talk about that. And is that something that anybody gives you direction on before you start editing? The very first um, feature that I cut was a documentary about the National Spelling Bee. My experience in editing that was sitting with the director, Jeff Blitz, and him telling me the story of meeting each of these individual children that were part of it. And he was such a wonderful storyteller and he had such a clear point of view on each of those experiences that then I took that into looking for the material that would support that version of his experience. So that was incredibly useful. And sometimes on these shows, when we do have, you know, sometimes the schedule doesn't permit permit it, but when we do have time to sit and say, oh, this is what I found really funny, or this is what I found engaging about this story, that that is so useful to us as editors <laughs> to then be able to go, okay, well, we can ignore that part. That's not the red dot. Like, this is what he liked or, or she liked. And to shape around that, that's such a pleasure. 
Lee Smith talked to me about that kind of, not the red dot idea, but he said, sometimes if a director just can give you one note, you know, before like, oh, here's like, here's the red dot for this scene. You can interpolate those red dots through the rest of the scenes. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. One, one note can give multiple, can provide multiple concepts. It's very rare just because of the nature of the schedule of television and having so many episodes, we generally don't get lots of notes beforehand, but sometimes you do, and they're very useful. It may just be that a director may shoot you an email just saying, I got X, Y, and Z, and just focus on the Z. We don't, I don't think we need the other stuff. That can be super helpful, but generally we don't unfortunately get a lot of stuff up front. I, it is super useful to me to know what people were responding to and enjoying. But on the other hand, the worst thing you can hear is everybody loved this on set because that it almost always dies <laughs> in editorial because it was big and broad and that's why it played. Um, I think there's a legitimacy in not having any knowledge of a scene. Certainly with script notes, I don't look at the script notes until after I've done my pass. And then I kind of see what maybe the director liked as their favorite take or if there's any specific moments called die, and I will then do another another version of that scene. So I'll have kind of done two. But I, I think it's useful at times not to have that direction. And it's also useful to have that direction depending on the scene. Well, since we have a eminent director among us, <laughs> I will have to ask her, don't your choices change? Like the things that you may have told the script supervisor, that's the take, or I love that. Then when you see it offset, yeah. Your feelings are different? You've got, of course they, they are. And that's why I, editors are useful. <laughs> and, and, Dane's, <laughs> Dane's, and Dane's take of, of what he picks might not be at all what I had in mind in the moment of as the thing that I thought was the clear choice on the day. Um, and I would do these very elaborate emails and text chains at the end of every day to, that I would send to Dane because... I always wish I get those, <laughs> and, so, and, and as a part of and and as a way of like kind of unloading what I think I did right and what I did wrong, and like help me here, and and I think this part was good, and you can ignore that, and, and trying to help him save some time and and organizing himself. Uh, yes, he absolutely would surprise me with his choices, and they were right. So it's he had the benefit of a quiet room and not the the pressure of and distractions and um yeah so it could be anything you could have been looking at a an extra in the background that you didn't like or something and he goes i don't even see the extra right so it could be or somebody just said something bad to you just before this the take and totally your emotions from something external affected your vision of the take well which is why we watch every frame like i i know there are some shows where you just kind of go towards the last couple takes <laughs> and, uh, and construct out of that. But we, Dana and I never do that. Well, we'll, we, you know. It's bad to say maybe, but I don't actually pay attention to circle takes because there could be just that one reaction in take one that nobody circled and it's gold. Or one great deadpan reading of a line. Yeah, so we watch everything <laughs> and, and dig from everything. That's a little bit about workflow in the the project though right because some projects you do need to be cutting you need to be up to camera or you need to be cutting you've got 
10 hours of dailies and you still have to get a two hour cut done that night. So you can't watch 10 hours of dailies. And Yeah, I've only had one experience where I had to say, we don't have time. We can only look at the circle takes and we're going to have to rely on the director or the EPs to call out moments that we may have missed. But that was early on in my career. And thankfully, I haven't come up against that since. I, I try to make time to watch everything because it feels like that's how I do my best work. Um, so Yana and I have been fortunate, I think, in most of the projects we've worked together where we do have time to really dig in and give our best. And and I'm not saying that any editor doesn't do that, but like, for example, Dan Crinian, and I think uh, he was the one I was talking to about this, he said sometimes if you got a 10-minute dialogue scene, like just the, the thought of having to dive into that is just too much for your brain. And he said, so I will literally look at the script and take the two best close-ups or medium shots and I will just cut this person talks, this person talks, this person talks, this person talks for 10 minutes because then at least I have something to watch and get my head around it and then I can go, okay, now let's look for better takes. Now let's look for reactions. Now when, sh- when do I, seeing this, when do I want to be on a two-shot? Yeah, that, that's certainly something that I've done in the past. Sometimes just to shake up my workflow, I will cut a scene with the final take if it's just a simple scene with two cameras and I'll just live cut it so I can start with 90 seconds or two minutes that's there and then I go back and I'll evaluate every moment within that. That that can definitely be helpful. I know Yana sometimes will. I watch in reverse order, last take first and work my way back. Although I'll sometimes watch the last take and the first take just to see what the evolution was uh, on set and see if they shook things up for a reason and I need to watch for that. But usually you'll find things from every take in a longer scene. Yeah, I'll, I want the best reading, but you know, it has to flow together. It has to feel organic and performances need to match. So sometimes that means you end up favoring a couple takes, but. Do you have to watch all of the takes at the beginning knowing that it's a process that's gonna take place over weeks or longer? Because does that affect you if you put in just the circled takes in a rough cut, then that kind of locks you in? I like to watch everything because our EPs are far flung and they don't have the opportunity to dig in as much as if they were, I think, locals. Like, I want to make sure that we're giving them the the best, <laughs> the, the best, the, uh, from our judgment of what the best is. Um, and then, but because we do have this back and forth workflow when i take a scene that dane is cut i'm not watching every frame of those dailies i'm trusting that we have a a great rapport and he's a wonderful editor and makes great choices so i'll only dig in when i think a take could maybe be improved or i'm just curious about a moment or something or i i might have a slightly different idea of what a moment could be about and so i'll i'll, I'll investigate that 80 more than 80 percent of the time I just leave it because Dane has made the best choice <laughs> out, out of what's there. And then the other 20% of the time, I always understand why he made the choice that he made, even when I do do sometimes fiddle and change things. Um, so that's why we work well together is we understand each other's brains and our choices um, make sense. So yeah, we don't have to watch all the dailies. <laughs> we Only one of us watches all the dailies properly. I do a terrible process that I hit myself for where I build my own 
line by line, string out of every moment and every beat. That's how I watch the dailies. It takes a long time. And then I use that to cut the scene. So by the time I'm cutting the scene, I've watched the dailies twice and I'm keeping little moments that I find as I go through everything when I'm cutting it. I can't do that on every job, time permitting, but it's something I do try to do. I find it useful to memorize the dailies. Yeah, I'm not suggesting that you don't ever watch, not watch all the dailies. I'm just saying it's a process. And so sometimes the process can start with circled takes. And then once you've got something to cut together, you're like, now that I know what the scene's about, now I'll watch the circled takes because you don't know what you're looking for sometimes when you're looking in the dailies. Yeah. And after you've watched the scene cut, you could then rewatch the dailies and go, oh, that's a marvelous moment that I didn't think I needed, but now I do know I need it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I definitely will favor circle takes because I feel like there was thought behind that, <laughs> a thought that I want to support and and make the best version of. Uh, one thing I do is leave markers for uh, reactions because that's something that sometimes an earlier takes is stronger because energy is higher. Or, so often the things that end up coming in from take one or two of a, of a longer run are the listening beats. It was really great speaking with both of you about these two great TV shows. They're both marvelously edited, and this interview was so informative. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. And it's that. Uh, you, pleasure getting to talk with you, Steve. I look forward to reading your interviews with other people. And I, I, look, I look forward to a revised, updated volume two of the book, or maybe another book in the future. It's great. I, I love reading the book. The book is wonderful. Thank you. That's really nice to hear. And I love that you've been listening to the podcast. One last quick question. You two had to finish your seasons on these shows from home under lockdown due to COVID-19. How did you manage to deliver these shows from home? Our assistant editor, Varen, cloned identical drives for each of us. And then he uses a process via Resilio Sync that if any new media is added, it syncs across all of our machines. So it's been really seamless. And we've used Slack to communicate and then we pass bins back and forth. Um, and we've created a new like organizational system at the top of each project so that the new bins are all up, up top and organized by person. And we have daily Zoom meetings. We use Evercast with our, um, some of our EPs to go over cuts. So we're live streaming our desktops. Um, and because Dane and I work together, we're, we're both kind of in on those sessions and all collaborating together. VFX spotting is done by- On Frankie. Frankie. Our mixes are done with a Zoom call before the mix. Uh, and then I can't remember the name of the system they use, Yana. EPS, EPS streaming, I think is what it's called. Everybody will listen and then get back on Zoom for notes. Most of us are listening on headphones. And then um, Dane and I will get the cut the night before and do a first round of notes before EPs come in and fiddle and do their final pass. So we're, we're getting a couple runs at it. That, and then they're working remotely. So um, our main mixer, Diego, is at the facility by himself. Uh, and then his um, effects mixer, Sam, is working from home. And, and then we have VFX houses all over uh, the US and Canada that are 
all those artists are working from home. Wow, that's an amazing feat uh, to pull that off with a team from all around the world. Uh, again, it was wonderful speaking with both of you. Thank you, Steve. Fantastic. Thank you, Steve. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Art of the Cut podcast. Also, check out ProVideoCoalition.com for more than 200 interviews with the world's top editors. Or read the book Art of the Cut, Conversations with Film and TV Editors for a topic-driven, curated experience. Thanks again to my guests, Yana Gorskaya, ACE, and Dane McMaster. I'm Steve Hullfish. If this is a podcast that you got something out of, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at at Steve Hullfish. Also, subscribe to this podcast and give it a review, please. Then be sure to spread the word and tell a filmmaking or film-loving friend.